<laughs> I just said, good morning, everybody. Can you all hear me? But then I realized I was muted. So now can you hear me? Great. Just as a matter of orientation, uh, as, as I'm sure it's the same in Brooklyn, um, it was snowing all evening here. So um, Kosin and I are, are um, joining the community from our home. Um, so I'm not with, we're not with the monks this morning, um, but we're all together, which is wonderful. So um, today I wanted to um, dedicate the, this particular talk in honor of two men, Archbishop Reverend Desmond Tutu and Thich Nhat Hanh, who both died in the last month. And in the midst of um, so much pain and violence and hopelessness and, uh, and conflict and polarization. There were, we were blessed to have these two beings, these, these bodhisattva hearts who um, taught by their life example and by everything that they um, were sharing with us, what a path to healing and peace looks like. So, it's kind of in that spirit this morning that I really wanted to speak um, and to uh, talk about uh, actually uh, a teaching from, from Reverend Tutu. And for those of us who were in, are in the BPOL, we talked about it a little bit there. Uh, and that's where I came across this teaching um, from a book he and his daughter, Mufo Tutu wrote called The Book of Forgiving. And I haven't been able to let it go <laughs> since I picked it up. And um, in this book, he uh, talked about how we need to be taught this process of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is a conversation and that it needs words. So uh, taking up very seriously his uh, request to learn this process of forgiving. I, I, I wanted to take this, this opportunity in this talk today to um, share it with you. And I wanna say that I'm sharing this conversation about forgiveness really very sincerely as a beginning student, not as a teacher. Not definitely not as a teacher of forgiveness. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about forgiveness out of gratitude for these two men. And I'm sharing it because um, it has uh, been helping me in this last month to actually transform my karma in ways that are quite powerful. And it is since picking this book up and since the first page, uh, it has been allowing me to uh, let more loving kindness enter my heart. And uh, it feels a little bit 
tricky to talk about forgiveness publicly <laughs> for some reason, um, many reasons actually. And, um, and I think of it as a very charged and a very tender topic. You know, we can throw the word forgiveness around very flippantly. And, you know, since I was a little kid, you know, in my religious classes, we talk about forgiveness a lot. But the depth of the practice of forgiveness, when it is met in a way that is, um, or and, and embodied in a way that is, uh, that is uh, sincere and um, contextualized and as a journey, it's quite a different thing. But it is tender and it is charged because forgiveness is um, related to harms and to hurts. And it's particularly tender when we consider it, consider forgiveness in the context of trauma and in the context of systematic violence and oppression. And it's been misused to try to actually circumvent remorse and healing. And, you know, I also want to share it out of a, a recognition of it as a profound spiritual practice that I feel as if I just came upon it in some way that I hadn't really studied it in now my decades of Buddhism. It's implicit in so much, but it is, uh, I feel like it's the medicine that's needed right now for me and I think from, from for our world. So I'm going to um, really rely on, on Reverend Tutu's words um, to walk you all through this. Um, and um, maybe you can feel and taste some of what I'm speaking about and it can be of some use. And I also want to <laughs> really sincerely express my um, forgiveness that I, I know I won't be able to do it justice in the way that he has. So he starts off in a very bold way uh, with the statement that there is nothing that can't be forgiven. And there is no one undeserving of forgiveness. So right there, you know, it, it might, even that is a, can bring us into a sense of disorientation. What would that look like? And um, I wanted to, and I went back and forth about whether to do this or not, really because of wanting to uh, not be harmful, but he starts off with an example, the very first page of his book. And I wanted to share that example um, because it was quite meaningful and it feels as if it just brings it into its most um, powerful form. So it has a little bit of a, of a expression of some harm that gets noted. I won't, I won't share all the details, but I do wanna start with this example that he started the book with. And this was, this was a, something that was spoken about within this Truth and uh, Reconciliation Commission, which was a kind of court-like restorative justice process assembled in South Africa in 1996 to help heal what happened under apartheid there. 
So um, here's, the, here's the story uh, spoken by this woman. He had many wounds. She spoke with the precision of a coroner. In the upper abdomen were five wounds. These wounds indicated that different weapons were used to stab him or a group of people stabbing him. Ms. Mawalu continued her harrowing testimony to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. She spoke about the disappearance and murder of her husband, Cicelo. I won't go into the details of that, um, of what happened to him. And uh, Reverend Tutu says in this, a wave of horror and nausea rose in me as he listened to what happened to her husband. And now it was 19 year old, Babula's turn to speak. She was eight when her father died. Her brother was only three. She described the grief, police harassment and hardship in the years since her father's death. And then she said, I would love to know who killed my father. So would my brother. Her next words stunned me and left me breathless. We want to forgive them. We want to forgive, but we don't know who to forgive. So just reading that first paragraph, um, two things happened to me when I, when I first read it. Uh, my heart broke open. Can feel it now, the kind of quivering and shakiness. And out of that heart in that moment, very sincerely rose an aspiration just at the same time, which was how, what, how could I develop a capacity to love that deeply and to forgive that thoroughly? And then at the same time, as I read it, this, the other piece that came up was, um, I saw in a moment my own profound limitations around being able to forgive and be forgiven. And, um, you know, I have no idea what it would be like to live and experience with this um, wife, and this child experience. And yet I feel as if there is a great field to open up to by, um, by understanding how they got there and what that was about. So, you know, it, what would it be like to cultivate that capacity, you know, and what is my own relationship to forgiveness and why is it so hard? I was, I've been thinking about why is it so hard for me to forgive, forgive others and forgive myself for unbelievably mundane, trivial things, especially compared to such a profound experience that they had to forgive. And I began to uh, think about how do I take up this practice of forgiving for all, with all those smaller harms and hurts and losses 
uh, and as a way of building that muscle. And as I did that, I saw throughout the whole day, there were like thousands of times a day where I could take up the process or the practice of forgiving. And each one of those, no matter how small they were, was this shift in orientation for me. And, um, and then, then it dawned on me that I think what, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh and Desmond Tutu uh, represents that we could actually take it up as a way of being in the world. You know, how do we have a forgiving relationship to everything? So, um, so Desmond Tutu goes on to say that we were, we're always in both positions, that each and every one of us has needed to forgive and that there have been times when each and every one of us have been needed to be forgiven and that there will be many times over and over again that that will be the case. He says, because we are all broken. And out of that brokenness, we hurt others. And so this forgiveness is this healing journey around broken parts and wholeness, which is what our aspiration is as bodhisattvas. And sometimes those hurts and harms, as I said, will be tremendous. The betrayals, the... Um, injustices will be profound and deep and um, extreme. And sometimes they will be um, every day. And I, I believe, you know, the first step and the way we practice and the ability to have a true remorse to be able to stand in a space when we harm or are harmed with stillness is going to be dependent on our capacity to forgive ourselves. So, so whether even when we're alone, we're in a relationship of um, forgiving, potentially forgiving. So in this, um, I wanted to share a screen. Um, I don't want to mess around. I'll try to describe it. It's two circles. He describes two circles. Oh, I, I think it's in the book. Let me see if I could just hold it up. He says that, um, find this circle. Oh, here it is. He says that in every moment when there's a harm or a hurt or a loss, we have just two choices. One choice he calls the revenge cycle. And one choice he calls the forgiveness cycle. So, yeah. And it'll be so. Can you see? I'll describe it. So, in a moment of hurt, it could be a tremendous cruelty, it could be a little um, kind of blow to our ego or some way we feel disappointed or um, hurt in a moment. We feel that kind of expression of something happening to us that's a harm or a hurt, and there's pain there. And in that moment of pain, we have two choices. 
One is to go and choose to, out of that harm, choose to harm, choose to reject our shared humanity, sit in a kind of uh, state of holding on to self and others, <laughs> you know, that we, we, we contract. And then we do many, many variations of revenge, retaliation, or payback. And this could, again, take the form of self-harm, you know, a shame that comes up or a kind of little attack uh, or withdrawal even. It could be many, many forms. And then from that, you're actually replicating a cycle of violence. And then it goes again and again. And we know this so well. We see this, what's happening here in, in our country and in the world. And then he says there's this other path. We feel the pain and we choose to heal. And he says there's four pieces to that healing process. And again, I feel like these pieces are so useful because they're so transferable to, to almost any moment of, of hurt. And we, you can almost hear the reverberations of some of the practices we've talked about as a community and in, in working with our karma. It's basically a, a kind of form of a transformational process from karma to karuna. This is it. So here, the first one is telling the story. And um, well, before I go into that, I want to say something else before I go into these pieces. But I'll, I'll name the pieces first. Telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and renewing the relationship. So he says, his quote, there are only two choices when we are faced with a loss. We can put our hands on our hearts and accept our suffering, our vulnerability, our human frailty. Or we can reject this suffering and raise our fists for revenge. It is our shared humanity, our shared losses, and our shared grief that ultimately allow us to reconnect with the world around us. So. You know, it makes sense, right? It seems obvious. And yet, um, in my experience and my experience with working with other people, that, um, that this idea that true transformation is dependent upon the ability to forgive rather than punish is such a radical reorientation of the way that we have been trained and taught to respond to painful experiences. It is so difficult for us to trust that, especially when our families and ourselves and our communities have suffered tremendous harm. But we do, we, we, I believe, you know, the other day, Kosim uh, was giving a talk and he said, none of us are bad, none of us are good, and we're all gonna die. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so true, right? That it's just a, we consciously or unconsciously, most of us have set up an ethical system where we categorize experiences as fundamentally bad or fundamentally good as a way of making sense in our world. And then we attach to those categories and we set out to insist upon the good and push away or need to exile and punish the bad. 
And so many of us, as we sit in Zazen, and so many teachers have told us, no, you cannot heal yourself by um, suppressing and pushing away what we find so reprehensible or painful or problematic in ourselves. And I wanted to share, you know, that when I was a, I used to, um, I think part of the reason this is so powerful for me is I still see how much my own um, self identity and orientation in the world is still operating on that other ethical system. Not ethical at all, but, you know, and I was thinking about in my own history, when I was young, when I was a young woman, I was terrified period. <laughs> I, I, I would walk through the day apologizing to others for I don't even know what. It would just come out of my mouth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for taking up space. I'm sorry for existing. So much conditioning there. And in that environment, whenever I tried to point out something I had done wrong, when somebody else tried to point, excuse me, when somebody else tried to point out what I had done wrong, the fear of the intensification of the badness I call we call shame grew with such intensity I could not allow myself to feel the remorse. I couldn't even bring in that other person's pain. And also out of this sense of badness, I could not admit to myself when I was harmed, when I was hurt. I would minimize it, I brush it off. I wouldn't let the other person really have the experience of giving me the gift of their remorse. So this, this process of forgiveness is, um, is a path to undermining uh, this ethical, this construction that I think we've all been taught and to drop below it and um, trust in wholeness and trust in the basic goodness, despite what others have done to us and what we have done. And, I, and so I, I, I feel like this is a, a lifetime for practice for me. And I do, I think um, when we feel the power of that forgiveness, part of the reason it was so shaky, shook me up so much is because I realized I had not been living from that place. Like I still need, I, I still don't understand what it means to be that kind of, uh, to, be, to be that radically accepting of my humanity and everybody else's. So to briefly share um, this path, the first step he speaks about is uh, telling the story, telling the story of the harm. It could be either the one who harmed or the one who's been harmed. And it's giving voice to those violations, to those um, ruptures, trying to make implicit what, make explicit what's implicit. You know, sometimes when we suffer a blow or trauma, we, we can't make sense out of it. it. It lands in our body and gets lodged there. 
So by starting to share the facts and naming it and telling the stories, we can begin to make some sense out of it. And the important piece I wanna just highlight here is um, as important as that is, and from my work as a, a person um, working with people's trauma, you know, if we only stay there with naming the hurt, we kind of get stuck in a cycle, a trauma cycle. It's like we obsessively repeat the story of our harm. Do you know this feeling? And it never resolves, you know, it just keeps looping back and looping back. So you can watch that in yourself um, and, seek out help or you know find a way to see if you can name the hurt and tell the story in an environment and in a way that can help it move forward so uh tutu recommends that you know ideally but not necessarily first you don't necessarily first tell the story to the one who has harmed you you might tell the story to somebody who um the hurt tiny little hearts the really big hurts to somebody who might be able to stay with that and, and be with it in a very particular way uh, where you don't have to navigate um, other elements. And then um, when we do that, things get clarified because it isn't, you know, the meaning and the, the, the um, and the linearness of the story doesn't all arise that way. It arises in bits and pieces, you know? Uh, we're, we're having to integrate something that doesn't make sense. The next piece of the process he calls uh, naming the hurt. And um, he calls it a, a reclaiming an ability to feel. So uh, when we get hurt, when we have a harm and when we have harmed, the first thing we wanna do is cut off from our feelings. So he says again, um, Reverend Tutu, the only way to stop the pain is to accept it. The only way to accept it is to name it and by naming it to feel it fully. In doing so, you discover that your pain is part of the great eternal tapestry of human loss and heartbreak. When you embrace your feelings, you embrace yourself and allow others to embrace you. So there's so much here. Um, we get frozen, hearts get um, cut off. We, there is an understanding that um, there's, there can be a numbing out, there can be uh, rage and anger and sorrow and grief and very messy kinds of feelings. Um, and then there's defenses against those feelings. So it takes a lot of courage, it takes time, depending on the nature of the harm or the hurt to be able to kind of, um, melt and begin to feel. The third piece um, he talks about um, is yeah I really actually it's funny I, I don't want to go to the third piece yet and I think this is the nature of what we do we want to skip over our feelings so many kinds of feelings we defend against all the time because they're connected with all these other previous hurts and harms that we have not had the appropriate space and kindness and, um, and capacity to feel. They all get bound up, you know? 
and I've seen this happen, you know, um, some tiny little thing will happen in my relationship. And then the, the, the intensity of the response is so tremendous because it's, it's just connected to a whole stream of unforgiven, un, unnamed, unfelt pain. And when we sit in zazen or we sit in meditation, we start, all these things start to wake up in us. And we see them as failures somehow, that somehow we're not doing zazen well, or we're a failure somehow as a Zen student, or we're, you know, irredeemably damaged in some way. But all it is, is it's a, it's an opportunity to begin to um, feel and notice what needs to be healed. So when a pain comes up, you know, Tia always so good about this, teaching me, stop, Laura, don't speed by. <laughs> don't speed by, don't distract yourself, stop. Stay, you know, as Yoko always says, stay. Stay right there. Because this is where our humanity um, can be reignited when we can begin to reclaim ourselves. And last week, um, talking about the Ehe Koso Hotsukomon, that line, um, we say, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. And Kosen uh, talked about it, changing the language that may be more um, accurate to free the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Can you feel the difference in that? Free the body. What do we mean by freeing the body? We free the body, we're freeing ourselves from the stuckness of all those unforgiven places. So grief, anger, sorrow, rage, numbness, anxiety, depression, you know, all signals of things that need attention and forgiveness and care. And then this beautiful third piece of the process called granting forgiveness. So there is a, a feeling because of this uh, good and bad thing that to forgive means to condone or to um, not take responsibility or harm and or not be accountable. But actually um, by granting forgiveness, there, all, of the, all of the folks that he interviewed from all over the world said it freed themselves. They were able to restore their own humanity, their own dignity, their own relationship, their own ability to feel peace again. So it, it is first and foremost um, healing for the forgiver. And he also really notes, which is a place I think we get really stuck. I get stuck, which is um, it's, it is wonderful and powerful if the person who has harmed us has remorse and is skillful and is able to know, note that. It's not dependent upon it. Healing is not dependent upon what the other person does. How could it be or else we're tied to them? We're tied to whether they can wake up or not. 
So to extricate uh, the need for a certain kind of response in order to forgive. And um, it's a choice point, you know? So if we've gone through this and we've been able to take care of our feelings, and again, this is a process, uh, we may get to the stage where we can authentically forgive, not the kind of let's make nice part, you know, or let me get away from taking responsibility for this, but we can um, move into a different, uh, in, back into a relationship. Um, and in this process, he talks about how one of the re ways that people can forgive is because they recognize that we're on both sides of the spectrum all the time. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this so much, you know. And if I think that, that Thich Nhat Hanh and Desmond Tutu, Martin Luther King's the, the kind of bodhisattva heroes that inspire millions of people, they inspire them because the level of violence that they were able to forgive or keep their hearts open to is, is kind of um, teaches us what's possible. So, um, so, and it grants us back into a peaceful relationship with ourselves. And in this book, he says it's often so much more difficult um, for the person who's, who's committed a tremendous harm to forgive themselves. So it may even take more time, um, but it's when we have remorse and when we're able to stand up in that, that um, we can really be accountable. So justice is served really by us um, being able to come back and, and renew or release the relationship. And I love the releasing relationship, right? Because it doesn't mean necessarily that you continue in a relationship with that, with that being, you know, that there may be out of compassion for them or for you that you um, decide to um, do this healing and yet not engage in an ongoing relationship. You know, in BPOL, this, this um, program, um, for those of us who identify as white, this forgiveness is kind of a profound um, form of generosity. And um, that the module on generosity follow the module on ancestry. Because um, at least, uh, because we have a lot to have to have remorse and take responsibility for uh, that our ancestors did and that we continue and that we actually um, have to in some ways understand the shared humanity of our ancestors you know one thing that Tutu mentions is part of the forgiving is a recognition that everybody suffers and that most harmful events are a result of people's suffering so it returns us out of the bad and good and polarization back to a shared humanity. And Thich Nhat Hanh um, often talks about that, as I mentioned. So, um, so once we are able to um, forgive and we're in and renewing the relationship, we are able to actually almost make a vow now. This is the time I think we can make a vow, especially if we are the ones who have harmed to, to not do it again. There's a beautiful uh, video that I can send to all of you around Thich Nhat Hanh working with a man 
who in Vietnam um, murdered many children because he was so hurt by his um, his fellowship soldiers getting killed and, and, and it tortured him for decades. And he came to Thich Nhat Hanh and Thich Nhat Hanh not only created a space for the, for the here for the listening, telling the story, for the feeling of the feelings, for his his whole embodiment is one of compassion. He also told this gentleman that the way he is going to heal this and forgive himself is to spend the rest of his life saving children. So find a way to save five children a day to um, in response to the five children that you killed. And he did. He, he found a way to dedicate his life to saving children. And, you know, in Thich Nhat Hanh's beautiful style, he said, you know, so those children can begin to smile at you. So, um, so we rebuild this sense of connection, of recognition of interdependence. And it's a wonderful practice really in a small way too. Um, how, when I, have, when I have a habit pattern or a tendency, how might I do the opposite? You know, How might I uh, embody uh, a way of being that is uh, an expression of an aspiration built on remorse? He says, Reverend Tutu, we are harmed together and we heal together it is only in this fragile web of relationship that we just rediscover our purpose, meaning, and joy after pain and loss. The web will break time and time again, but we can rebuild it. Only in restoring the web of connection can we find peace. And this is the part I love, which is really to me about Sangha. He says, I'm sure it is possible to heal in a mountain top cave alone. But for most of us, the quickest and deepest healing happens in the embrace of others. And he talks about how whole communities suffer when we don't forgive. So, you know, as we practice in Sangha together uh, and we return to each other in person, which we will um, hopefully at the beginning of March, we will inevitably inevitably harm each other, hurt each other, misunderstand each other, make a mistake, step on something so tender and delicate in each of us. And um, we have this opportunity really to, um, to kind of do the opposite of what we might wanna do when we have been harmed or have harmed, which is to avoid, minimize, deflect, run away, defend, you know, collapse, <laughs> is to um, be able to work through a process of um, forgiveness. And if we can do it in all the little tiny ways, we can really, uh, we can be what we aspire to be as a community. Uh, and I was talking to Kosen this morning about the profundity of this topic and you know, we, 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 we spoke about how if we don't forgive, we won't survive as a species. 
we have lot, got to learn this lesson, this capacity. Tutu says, forgiveness is nothing less than how we bring peace to ourselves in the world. And it's how we express our gratitude for beings like King and Tutu and Tignahan Thai. That's how we do it. So I, I encourage you to um, consider, you know, what needs our forgiveness? What, what needs our forgiveness right now? What do we need to be forgiven for? We could take a few minutes at the end of every day or every week and kind of take an inventory to see if we're holding on to anything, harboring anything. It might be conscious, we might be well aware of what we're doing, or it might be lodged in the body somehow. You know, like an unspoken hurt can feel like anxiety or tightness in the chest or a heaviness, a tearfulness. So I, um, I'm going to be practicing this, you know, and um, I'd love to uh, practice with others with this. So maybe we can keep, um, keep this as an aspiration for ourselves together. All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.